I am Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. Show. It has been forever and a day, but we are back. It has been forever and a day since we last gotten together to talk about mysteries and murder. Exactly. And everybody needs a little mystery and murder in their life. Well, I mean, maybe not, but you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I want I want vicarious mystery and murder. Exactly. Not like in my <laughs> own life, guys. Not in my own life. I've got enough shit going on. Indeed, indeed. But we have been able to put aside the shit going on in our life to record our first stop in Nevada, which is pretty exciting. Yes, Nevada. The something state that I'm sure Nicole will tell us what the something is. It's the silver state, or perhaps the sagebrush state, depending on who you're talking to. Okay, okay. The silver state. I think that sounds super dope. It does. I like it. I think it's funny, though. Like, I was reading about, like, state nicknames, because, you know, I love I love shit like that. And it was like, Nevada, the silver state, even though most of the U.S.'s gold comes from Nevada. But California is called the golden state. I'm like, wait, what? What is happening, guys? Sort that out. Yeah, get your names right, guys. <laughs> make it make sense. Make it make sense. Good stuff about Nevada. I have a ton of fun facts for you because I did go a little a little wild, but um, it's been a while. I understand. <laughs> it has been a while. Uh, I can dive in if you'd like. Sure. All right. So we already talked about the state nickname, the Silver State. I also like the Sagebrush State because I think that sounds very pretty. It's the state flower. That's why they will sometimes refer to Nevada as the Sagebrush State. Um, I think in general, when most people think of Nevada, they think about gambling and i think for folks our age especially it's like that's why you go to nevada it's for vegas right that's yeah and i mean it's not just vegas like everywhere is fucking gambling in nevada I, yeah everywhere at the airports that's the funniest thing everyone ever told me about nevada is that if you have a layover at the like the las vegas airport you can cool your heels and wait for your flight next flight and Play a little slots right in the airport. No need to go through security again. <laughs> what? Okay, that's nuts. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I'm yeah. not a gambler by any means, but I like it in theory. Yeah, I like it in theory, and I, I am right there with you. I like it for other people. Yes, I, I, I love that it exists. <laughs> uh, so we did talk about how it's the Silver State, and that's really because Nevada was put on the map because of its huge deposits of silver ore. Have you ever heard of the Comstock load, Eden? Wink, wink. Um, name sounds vaguely familiar, but <laughs> probably not. Well, it is a, a 1859 discovery of a huge ore vein. And like, frankly, Comstock load has always sounded like the most dirtiest thing I've ever heard in a history class. It really does. <laughs> but when that was discovered, it triggered this huge silver rush in the West, in Nevada, and, and some parts of the California territories, and a huge population boon. From there, uh, Nevada really made its name through its mineral wealth, it tr and that's what really attracted a lot of Americans into the area after and during the Civil or during and after the Civil War. It's funny because it sort of became a state on the tail end of the Civil War. So sometimes you'll hear Nevada referred to as the battle-born state. Um, it's another another term or, or nickname for Nevada as well, just because of its history and how, you know, this big mineral deposit was found during the war. So if you're a vet after 
Civil War and you just didn't want to go back to your hometown, you could always go out west and make your fortune in silver. The Battleborn State just makes me think of Skyrim. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is kind of, yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like Battleborn could be like some sort of uh, bandit gang of dragonborns. Well, no, it was, um, there were two families in Whiterun, I believe. So one of the first towns that you normally go to, even though you can go wherever, but usually most people go to Whiterun. Um, and it was the Battleborns and the Greymanes, was that their last name? I don't remember, but they had like, oh. they were like feuding families. I forgot all about that. I'm really bad at remembering the beginning of games. Like, I remember the thick of it. I never remember how I start out on my, my epic quest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that game's like... <laughs> A million hours long and you can just do whatever until you're out of stuff to do which you're kind of never out of stuff to do because there are radiant quests that just keep repeating true it's true but battleborn yeah i forgot about that um so one thing i want to get out of the way really ahead of the game is that it is pronounced nevada Not uh, nevada not nevada not nevada keep that that nasally a to yourself folks um, and that's mostly because the word Nevada comes from Spanish, and it literally means snow-capped. I just so. realized something right now. Hmm. So I'm always like, why do people from other countries, when they do American accents, oh, uh, they only sound like this and everything is through the nose. But then when I make fun of stuff, that's the same voice that I use. So maybe accurate? I don't know. Are you saying that Americans, by by the nature of our accents, always sound a little bit whiny and snarky? A little bit. I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> Unless you're from, like, you know, the Midwest, then you sound nasally and very, very sweet. It's true. It's true. And I guess it all depends on how I feel about you if you're saying Nevada or Nevada. Well, I mean, or Nevada in itself does sound very, like, you know, Midwest. It does. It does. They're, they're right up there with the people who call it Oregon. Oh, no. Don't you dare. <laughs> so speaking of Nevada, it's one of seven U.S. states that has no individual income tax, just like Oregon. Oh, it also okay. doesn't co it doesn't collect any kind of corporate income tax either, which I guess is kind of amazing if you're like a casino organization and you're operating in this and you're based in operating in the state of Nevada. Huh, okay, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Nevada's also the driest state in the U.S. They get less than 10 inches of rain per year. Really? Okay, see, I would have gone Arizona, but yeah, Nevada yeah. works too. Right? I would have, I would have also thought Arizona, because when I think like hottest, driest state, I always think Arizona. But yeah, Nevada's actually the driest. It is the seventh largest state in size, and about 86% of its land is actually owned by the federal government, uh, which makes sense when you think a little bit about Nevada history. From the 1950s through the early 1990s, Nevada was a nuclear test site, so a lot of our experimentation with hydrogen and other types of nuclear bombs was performed in the Nevada desert. Uh, there were over 900 nuclear tests performed in the Nevada test site, which is just 65 miles northwest of Las Vegas from the 50s through the 90s, which is kind of kind of nuts. Huh. Makes me think of the hills have eyes. Makes me think of the hills have eyes and also fallout. Oh, <laughs> yes, <Vegas>. definitely fallout. 
if you suffer from chlorophobia, you might want to avoid Tanopa, Nevada. It is home to a clown-themed motel with its own specially designed creepy figures. Oh, no thank you. <laughs> yes, throughout this motel, they have lots of little like clown, creepy clown figurines. And if that's not enough of a creep factor for you, the motel is right next door to the old uh, Tapana Cemetery, where about 30 miners, outlaws, and other pioneers make their eternal slumber. Oh, God. <laughs> Did you just look it up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I will not be going there. No, Mm-mm. never in my life. Thank you. It's one of those things that I considered for a story, but I'm like, that pretty much sums it up. Like, that's it. That's just, yeah. that's creepy enough. I'm going to back away slowly. <laughs> Running in the other direction as fast as I can. Yep, yep, yep. This is a super interesting fact about Nevada that I was only kind of maybe partially aware of. Uh, it's the only U.S. state that has legalized prostitution. Yep. But did you know it's like super, super regulated? I didn't know it this. It is very much regulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically there's regulated brothels and they have to be in counties of a population of less than 400,000. Mm-hmm. So that you hear about things like Cadillac Ranch and things like that. Like they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere because they have to be by law. Yeah. Um, which I, I have questions and concerns about. It's like, oh, so you're just going to isolate people into sex work. Cool, cool, cool. All right. I cool. actually read up on like how they do it too. Like um, specifically the Bunny Ranch was the mm-hmm. one that I looked at. Um, so apparently like the girls that work there, when the guy comes in, First, they do like this, like, I'm going to be sexy and I'm going to wash your genitals first. Right. But when they're doing that, they're also checking for signs of disease. Oh, wow. Yep. Kind of smart, though, if you think about it. It's like, it you know. is. Yeah. All right. Speaking of things that are unique to Nevada, I think we already kind of touched on the welcome. Uh, we are touched on. Las Vegas. Um, so I did find this fun fact about Las Vegas. I think when we think of it, we picture that famous welcome to fabulous Las Vegas sign, the very mm-hmm. like 50s, 60s sort of design. Did you know that was created by a woman? I did not. I had no idea who created it. Yeah, it's something I, I, I kind of took it for granted because it's such a, the iconic sort of diamond shaped marquee design for Las Vegas. Well, I guess it was created by a 35-year-old graphic designer named Betty Willis in 1959. She decided not to trademark the design and instead would refer to it as her gift to the city. Um, She continued to work in neon signs for the rest of her life, designing numerous signs that you'll see in Las Vegas and other locations out west. Uh, She finally retired at the ripe old age of 77. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was super dope. And two more facts for you that I think you'll enjoy. While several states do not have laws banning public intoxication, Nevada is the only one that specifically prohibits any state or local law 
from making public drunkenness a public offense. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, their money is all in like alcohol and gambling. So. Yep. So like basically like you can't. So like, well, not only is it not illegal to be drunk in public, but you also can't make it illegal, <laughs> which That's I think is just interesting. Fantastic. Also, it has a statewide law allowing 24-hour sales of booze from bars, restaurants, and stores. So basically, it's just a 24-hour drink fest, is what it sounds and like. drunk people gamble, a- uh, gamble away their money a lot easier. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, although I do question the wisdom of getting very inebriated in a state that's very dry. I feel like I would have an instant hangover headache. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or I just have it all the time, just a constant headache. And my last fact for you, Eden, I think you'll enjoy this because this boggled my mind and I legit had to pull out a map and look to understand this. But Reno, Nevada is actually further west than Los Angeles, California. What? What? Exactly. That's, that was my reaction, too. So Reno is further west than Los Angeles, and that's because of the way that Nevada and California are shaped. And the location of each of those two cities within their respective state. So if you think about how like oh, California kind of curves, yeah. exactly. And Nevada also has that kind of straight uh, western uh, state line, and then it curves in to accommodate Nevada California. Nevada does have a very interesting kind of cool shape. I always thought. Yep. Yep. So Los Angeles is like deep in that curve back into the continent, whereas Reno is near the straighter part of Nevada. So it actually is further west than Los Angeles, which is that's mind-blowing mm-hmm. that's what i thought so that completes my fun facts for the lovely silver state the nevada well thank you nicole that was very informative and fun i enjoyed it so i am really excited to hear your story since you did give me a little heads up that it's nuts so I, i'm buckled up and i'm ready for the wackiness to begin not only is it nuts, dear listeners, but it's my third one that I tried to do. <laughs> okay, I will dive into my story. My story takes place in Reno, Nevada. That's oh, right. Further west than Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. And the place where Johnny Cash shot a man just to watch him die. That scamp. Reno is the county seat and largest city of, I'm assuming it's pronounced Washoe County. I'm assuming it's not Washu. Yeah, it's Washoe. I know that from Reno. I know that from Reno 911. Oh, God, I forgot about that show. (laughs) (laughs) So, yep. uh, County seat and largest city in Washoe County. It is nearly 112 square miles and has a population of 264,165 people. Its nickname is the biggest little city in the world. And coming from a small city with around 250 people in my high school's graduating class, I have to say that ain't no little city. Because we have maybe a population of 27,000 at most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so 264,165 people, that's not little by any means. Get your names right. Calling you out, Nevada. Um, Eden's coming for you. Right? So, in fact, it's the third largest city in Nevada, 
and the 82nd in the country by population. Wow. Yeah. I can understand this... your contention about it being uh, little. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this city has also become known for tech companies since Tesla, Amazon, Panasonic, Google, Apple, and Microsoft all have headquarters there now. Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know if it's like main headquarters, but it's still headquarters. Um, it's also known for tourism and, like everything else in Nevada, gambling. There are also a lot of big names from Reno, such as Matthew Gray Gubler, who is uh, from Criminal Minds. You probably know him from uh, Jenna Malone, Mitch and Amick, Chris Carr, and Gabriel Damon, a.k.a. Littlefoot from The Land Before Time. Wow. Wow. That's like a that is quite a list of random notable notables right? from, from a city. I love it. So my story will not be as touching as a sweet children's movie about dinosaurs, though. I uh, hope this, not. Yeah. <laughs> this is the murder of Kathy Augustine. Kathy Augustine was born May 29th, 1956 in Los Angeles. Uh, if you've heard her name before, it's because she was a politician. Before that, she worked for Delta Airlines for 12 years as a flight scheduler and also briefly as a stewardess based out of Vegas. She went to school for political science and got a bachelor's degree at Occidental College. After that, she got her master's in public administration from California State University, Long Beach. It's time for me to add in some of my favorite, yep, sarcasm for the win, bits of research. Confusing and or unclear information. Nicole, you know how tough it can be trying to research a murder victim's personal life before they were murdered, right? Oh, of course, because it's not really public knowledge. It's all based off of what is released by the police based on their interviews or like what news media talks to friends about that sort of stuff. Exactly. So no one besides Wikipedia had the information I needed for this. Uh, so I could not get clarification from any other source for this part. Um, it said Kathy had two short lived marriages, one of which producing her daughter, Dallas. Uh, it did not give the names of these two husbands, uh, but I know they could not be the next two husbands, which other sources just were like, these are the only husbands we know about. Um, hmm. um, okay. And those next two husbands are actually listed in the article since it said they both ended in divorce and were short the first two. So it can't be these two. So the first man's name they gave me was Charles Augustine, which is also Dallas's last name. But I don't think this could be her father since they were married for 17 years. So not short-lived, and he died of a stroke, so no divorce. Hmm. So just to make sure I'm tracking, this is one of possibly four husbands that she may or may not have had. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's a definite because the episode of Forensic Files I watched did not mention husbands one or two, but they did hmm. mention four husbands. Okay, got it. I Still tracking. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, no other website mentioned other husbands, and I hate when I can't get all the information. Um, but anyway, back to Charles. Uh, he was a pilot for Delta, and like I said, he did die of a stroke on August 19th, 2003. 
Now, here's where things get super weird right off the bat. I know everyone grieves differently at different times and in different ways. But there was a critical care nurse named William Charles Higgs, or Chaz, uh, and he would be husband number four, I guess. Um, Why is this weird? Well, she married him exactly one month later. They were married in September 19th, 2003. Huh. Yeah, that definitely jumps out because usually when there's like that um, marrying a caregiver of your previous spouse, it's usually because they've been ailing for a while and Mm -hmm. you have this emotional trauma bond with them. But this is a sudden stroke, so immediately sketchy for sure. Trauma bonding is something I know well. (laughs) That was my last relationship in a nutshell. Um. (laughs) So apparently she and Charles uh, were considering divorce right before this. And Kathy was the beneficiary of his $1,000 life insurance policy. Oh, sorry. $1 million life insurance policy. $1,000 or like whatever. $1 million. Yeah, we got something. You're like, I don't get a bed for (laughs) $1,000. No. (laughs) Not sure how I feel about all of this, but who knows? So let's just let it lie for now, I guess. Uh, His body was exhumed later and an autopsy was performed, but there were no signs of foul play. Um, Still seems super convenient, but that's none of my business. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned she was in politics. She served one term from 93 to 95 in the Nevada Assembly and served in the Nevada Senate from 95 to 99. She had a lot of friends in her party, which was the Republican Party. Apparently, she was even on the shortlist from George W. Bush to be Secretary of the Treasury. Wow, that's definitely like a quite a political profile in your party, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. However, controversy seemed to surround pretty much every campaign she had. Uh, in 1992... When she was campaigning for the Nevada Assembly seat, she was criticized for a picture she used of her opponent, uh, who was an African-American woman. I don't know the name because they didn't list it. And the caption above the picture said, there's a real difference. I don't quite know what the controversy is unless they were trying to say that the caption was a race thing. And then definitely that's pretty bad Um, because her opponent, though, used the same picture of herself. In her own campaign stuff. Interesting. With that framework, it does sort of sound like a like a racist dog whistle. And yeah. like being that we can't see the photos, like who knows, maybe there was some alteration because you've heard like shitty things where like sometimes they'll make a, a minority candidate or a, a brown candidate skin look even darker. Or do like weird character things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a it's like an unconscious bias thing that's really messed up that'll happen sometimes. So um but but you just saying that to me, I'm kind of like, whoa, from my perch here in in 2023. Yeah. (laughs) Like that seems fucking sketchy. Uh yeah, it does. Um, and in her campaign in 1994 for the Senate, people were a bit mad because she accused her competition of being against prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, The opponent's name was Lori Littman Brown, and she was an atheist and also Jewish by ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this all stemmed from when she refused to participate in a prayer being led by a Christian minister. 
And the Pledge of Allegiance thing is just total bullshit that came out of nowhere. <laughs> so she's following in the fine tradition of other Republicans who just kind of pull things out there ass to rev up their base is what I'm kind of Pretty much. Here. I mean, it's like, dude, that's not her religion. Just leave her alone and let her do what she wants. Like, yeah, who cares? 1998 she was elected state controller and she was the first woman to hold the position hmm. yet again she found herself in hot water and actually had an impeachment hearing to in 2004 for her 2002 re-election campaign she had been accused of violating ethics laws by way of using state personnel and equipment for her campaign and was found guilty okay she okay. was not removed from office, however, and was instead fined fifteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm still with you. Okay, so Kathy's a little sketchy. Kathy is a little sketchy. I'm sorry to say that about a murder victim, but she's a little sus. A little bit, a little um, bit of you know bending of the rules here. Yeah, definitely. Rules? What rules? No, no. I'm a politician. I don't Kathy. need no stinking rules. <laughs> Where I'm going, I don't need rules. <laughs> and that's the White House. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, you know, she got close to the Treasury thing. Yeah. Um, so in 2006, she decides to run for state treasurer and try to clear her name and clean up her image a bit. I mean, this is a woman who, although very respected by lots of people in Nevada, had quite the habit of running some terrible campaigns. Hmm. During the middle of this campaign, however, she became sick and was found unconscious at home. Her husband, William Charles Higgs, called 911 and said she was not breathing. Paramedics arrived, and they say that she was still alive. Uh, They gave her some drugs and gave her a shock to try to, you know, get her back into consciousness. Mm Mm-hmm. Initially, they thought it was a heart attack, but an angiogram showed that was not the case. I'm sounding a bit like Mari there. The lie detector said that was a lie. Um, That was a lie. (laughs) So the doctors had, like, no idea what had caused this. Uh, Things only got worse from here, and she was in a coma and had to be hooked up to machines to help her breathe. Whoa, yeah, this is like a serious health episode. Oh, yeah. So after a while, her family decided to pull the plug, which Kathy had stated in her will was something that she wanted. She didn't want to be kept alive by artificial means. Okay. So it was a tough choice, but at least she had that living will that, you know, let her make that decision. Yeah, living wills are important, totally. Absolutely. Advanced directives are your best friend in situations like this. When questioned, Higgs said that he got up to do some chores, and when he came back to the bedroom, Kathy was still in bed and unresponsive. He was a critical care nurse, like I said, so he knew what to do. He checked for a pulse, and he could not find one. Uh, He said that she was not breathing, and he started CPR. The really weird thing family members noted was not only did Kathy not seem sick before this incident, but she seemed to be doing better than ever. Like she was in good spirit. She was healthy. There was nothing. 
An autopsy was performed, but the cause of death remained undetermined. They found no reason that she should have died or been in a coma. Three days later, after her death, another 911 call was made, and EMS went back to the house, this time for Kathy's husband, who had slit his wrists in a suicide attempt. Wow. Wow. Okay, I'm with you still. This is like, oh, it's getting my pulse racing, all the drama. Oh, it's a roller coaster. Um, he left a note saying that he could not live without Kathy, and he pointed the finger at her political rivals for her death. He was able to get medical attention in time and did not die. He was let out of the hospital before the funeral, but he did not attend. I'm not sure if this was the initial autopsy or a later examination, but the medical examiner said that she found two small bruises on Kathy's butt, which looked like puncture wounds and could be from a possible injection. Mm. Nothing matched Mm. with her medical records, however. So not medical. Okay. This is when Chaz became a suspect or at least a person of interest. If those were from a needle... He would have access to a lot of different drugs. Mm-hmm. Also, he had been saying he and Kathy had a happy marriage, but people at the hospital he worked with said the opposite. A nurse asked once when Chaz was working on something, uh, just asked if there was anything she could do to help, and he replied with, yeah, get rid of my wife. <gasps> Uh-oh. Yep. So while that totally sounds suspicious and I would follow up on it, I don't see this as a nail in the coffin just yet. People sometimes make dumb comments when they're angry and say things that they don't mean. Not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happens. Mm -hmm. They went through his emails after this bit of information and did find some more damning evidence. However, Chaz was a very naughty boy and was having affairs, plural, I believe behind Kathy's back, and called her controlling. He said in one email to a co-worker, You have my heart. I don't want to be with her. I want to be with you. I'm doing everything I can to drive that bitch crazy, and it is working. Mm -hmm. The police listened to his 911 call, and they came to the same conclusion I did when I heard it. He just did not sound shaken up about any of it. Uh, not just flat affect of like, you know, someone in disbelief, but just like someone who doesn't care. Um, the paramedics also said he didn't look very upset when they arrived that night that she was rushed to the hospital. And he just sat in the back of the ambulance reading a newspaper. Wow. Okay. So uh, that doesn't sound like someone who would then days later commit suicide over missing no, her spouse at all. Not at all. Now that is a nail in the coffin for me, you know? Mm-hmm. They also spoke to one of Kathy's friends, and she said she called the night before she died, uh, telling her she and Chaz were getting a divorce. Now you might be saying, if all Chaz wanted was to be rid of his wife and they were going to get divorced, why kill her? Well, Kathy was rich. Mm-hmm. She has that million dollars, remember? Plus politicians' money's got to be good, right? Oh, yeah. You definitely get, like, lots of fringe benefits. And if you play your cards right as a politician, you can make a nice little nest egg for yourself. Oh, yeah. She was definitely worth way more than a million dollars. Um, So, I mean, that's total speculation. 
on my part. But still, you know, pretty tempting. You know, you hate your wife and she has money. You know, do let's you, roll do the you, dice. Yeah, for uh, sure. For sure. How long were they married for? Do you know? It doesn't sound like it was like her first, the, the first husband that she got years. them. Three years. Yeah. So I can. Six now. Oh, yeah. So I can definitely see why after three years you would be a little tempted Mm -hmm. because you're not really going to get any kind of support payments, especially even even if you are a man, it's it's much harder for men to get it. But then especially if like your partner's a a politician and it's like you've only been together for three years, it's like, no, he's not going to get anything with this divorce. No, exactly. Uh, so that that's my thought on it. And, you know, if you have no morals or scruples, then, you know, murder seems to be the way to go. It's terrifying because he's a critical care nurse, too. I it's know. Like, Although he wouldn't be the first killer nurse. Remember that. That's true. That's true. We had one in this area. <laughs> so even more damning than any of this is the motherfucking Kim Rico-level comment he made to another nurse in the hospital, Nicole. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He said, If you really want to kill someone, give them a shot of sucks. Can't be traced post-mortem. Wow. And the 2023 Kim Rico Award goes to... Exactly. <laughs> like... Congratulations for being our first winner this year. <laughs> So, yeah, so let bad. me like that is so Kim Rico, like on the nose, Kim Rico. Mm. He couldn't shut up about wanting to kill his wife and just said the biggest thing ever. Uh, so, so my only question is, what is sucks? I will tell you. All so right, cool. Let me tell you that when I heard that, I had true calling flashbacks. <laughs> the I forgot sucks. about that show. Yep. <laughs> So the sucks that he refer that he's referring to is a powerful muscle relaxant called succinylcholine. I remember Davis explaining to True in the one episode that um, you can't find it in the body after death. I actually think you can't trace it for more than a few minutes to a few hours after it's been injected. Wow. Yeah, succinylcholine is like super sneaky and just metabolizes so fast in the body. Uh, it's something that they use in surgeries, and he would have most certainly had access to it. And I think the only reason that, like, I remembered succinylcholine so well is because I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, okay, so interesting way to thicken plots in murder mysteries. You know, mm-hmm. great, you know, way to kill someone in my book. So that one stuck with me. Plus, it's fun to say succinylcholine. Sure, we'll go with that. I'm so bad at saying saying the names of drugs. I I, I appreciate it anytime there's like a phonetic thing. <laughs> I know, like a phonetic spelling on. I'm like, it's some, and my wife is just like, it's naproxen. You got to calm down. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's aspirin. Um, <laughs> luckily, some nurses, not Chaz, are smart. A week after Kathy's death. Police get a call from a nurse in the hospital who suspected possible poisoning in Kathy's case and had immediately taken a urine and blood sample and froze them. Oh. So why urine? Succinylcholine breaks down slower in urine. Mm. 
Now, very few labs can actually test for this substance, so they took it to the FBI lab in Virginia, because they were not messing around. Thanks to some fast thinking by a nurse, they were able to find trace amounts of succinylcholine in her urine, and Chaz was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. They searched his car and found stacks of cards, one of which went over the uses and doses for succinylcholine. Guess what, Chaz? It sucks to be you right now. (laughs) Dear Chaz, I want to meet, I want to introduce you to a lovely lady from Delaware named Kim Rico. I feel like you guys could really use some pointers and it could be a journey for both of you together. Match made in heaven. Although remember, Mm -hmm. Kim's still claiming her innocence, apparently. Mm Hmm. She, he must have felt like the same way about it, you know, sucking to be him because before trial, he made another suicide attempt and he failed a second time. So I don't know how serious <sighs> it was. I think it was just like, I'm going to get some jury sympathy on this one. Yeah. Just yes. like the first time, I'm sure since it was he slit his wrist the first time, I'm sure he decided to do it the way that he knows can be sewn up more easily. Um, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, in probably a horrible choice by the defense, they let him testify on his own behalf. <gasps> yep. You let your suicide, quote unquote, suicidal client take the stand in their own defense. Like, that just, mm-hmm. I know sometimes it's best to hear from people, but like, I would seriously, can really, really deeply consider that, cons- that decision as like a, a defense counsel. Like, come on. Like, oh, ugh. yeah. I mean, because in most cases, in most cases, the um, defendant, they always say that it's best if they do not testify on their own behalf, because then you're open to cross-examination, and that is never a good thing for someone who is guilty. Yeah, and, like, no matter how much trial prep you put someone through, you never know how they're going to behave on the stand. And, like, I could very exactly. easily see if you're the person accused of murder, and whether you're innocent or not, like, getting very impassioned and yeah like you said opening yourself up to those cross-examination questions but i want to see how this motherfucking chaz boffed it because i'm sure he did oh yeah he was very cold and he was not very believable on the stand but that wasn't the only damning thing in this court case a prosecution witness said he once told her quote if i didn't have a daughter in las vegas i would kill my wife and chuck her down a mine shaft end quote My wife of three years, no yep. less. Oh my god! Oh my god! That yeah, oof, oofta. Yeah. So the trial lasted only ten days, and he was found guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in twenty years. I know I said Charles's death was ruled as natural and there are no signs of foul play but according to the forensic files episode i watched they did find succinyl monocholine in his Mm -hmm. system which is a byproduct of succinylcholine um but it was unknown whether this was from embalming or not so it's still a possibility but it's Mm. just inconclusive okay because for me that whole thing it just sounds so convenient so convenient yeah that i wouldn't put it past either of them really to have poisoned the husband yeah and like kind of like because that seems to be the mo right at least Mm -hmm. chaz's mo where it's like he finds a lover 
And then if the, they need to get rid of somebody, they could use the sucks to kill them. And it had been three years, or maybe he didn't under, remember the dose, or maybe it was something where he needed to recalculate, obviously, because I'm assuming Kathy was probably slighter than her husband. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's super, that's super shady for sure. Yeah. I mean, like his downfall here was the nurse or nurses that, because I think there were two nurses that were just like, I think she's poisoned. This is not a heart attack. Let's go do some, you know, grab some stuff and freeze it for later investigations. Yeah. Like this guy's sketchy. We're going to, we're just going to a little extra, just a little extra, just in case. Exactly. Oh, and just when you thought we were done with this roller coaster of a story, I have one more bit of information that will blow your mind all over again. Okay. Remember Dallas Augustine, the daughter? Yes. Well, in 2012, she shot her girlfriend, Jesse McGaskill, in their apartment before shooting herself in a murder-suicide in Phoenix. Oh, damn. That's super sad. (laughs) Yeah. It's like this whole family just cannot catch a break. Yeah. Mm, That's sad. Yeah. Uh. Like I said, this story was freaking nuts. Um, and with that being said, what do you think, Nicole? It's interesting, right? So we hear about cases like this all the time where a greedy spouse doesn't want to just let their partner walk away. They want to make sure they're kept in the lifestyle they're accustomed to. So they resort mm-hmm. to murder. What I think is really interesting about this case, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. is the victim right she makes it interesting because she is this kind of like what we think of as like a super red state republican Mm -hmm. politician and you kind of see that type of character involved in in a a classic murder uh for money love triangle type situation that i think it makes a little bit more unique and then the part of me is part of me that's kind of like yeah but if she wasn't like a you know politician would i be as intrigued by because it's it's one of those things that sometimes it's like the crimes about the victim and that's what makes it interesting which is like i don't know i i i feel bad about that sometimes that's my reaction because you know there's lots of people who are in the same situation who you know because of who they are they might be a minority person or they might be somebody who's not as wealthy as kathy was it gets kind of brushed under the carpet and nobody cares, right? It does. And that's very unfortunate. Everyone needs representation. Everybody needs to get their story out there. Because, I mean, that's the way we solve these crimes. And unfortunately, you know, if you are a minority, if you are gay or you are black or brown or, you know, just any other minority. Yeah, even just poor. Yeah. You don't get the airtime. You don't get the visibility and that sucks it it does suck and i think it's interesting because we were kind of talking about how like those those two nurses you know just the the forethought of those two nurses to take those samples i wonder how much of that had to do with you know the person like if they even knew who she was they probably did um so it's sort of like extra like hmm but if like it was just some homemaker I don't know if they would have thought about taking those extra steps. You know what I mean? I think they would have. And the reason that I say that is because I think that these nurses probably heard good old Chaz just, you know, walking around being like, sucks is fun. Let's do this. You know, (laughs) 
So I have a feeling they probably overheard some bullshit and knew his history with his wife and were like, mm, he probably did something. Let's just do this to be on the safe side. That's a good point. And that makes me feel better. So Chad just sucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Chaz is an asshole. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, shifting your story several times to find this one, Eden, because I, I did thoroughly enjoy this. I think it, it's very, very uh, unique. It was definitely very unique. And like I said, you know, Kim, you'll have a a lifelong uh, lover with Chaz. Well, until you both decide to murder each other. (laughs) Maybe just stay pen pals, guys. Maybe just pen pals. (laughs) So my sources for this week were Wikipedia, Forensic Files episode titled Political Thriller, DailyMail.co.uk, NBCNews.com, SeattleTimes.com, LasVegasWeekly.com, uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, and NewYorkTimes.com. Cool. Well, thank you, Eden, as always. Uh, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back with some weird news. And then I have a weird little spooky tale to entertain all of you with. Nice. Grab those road snacks, roadsters. And we're back. We are back. We're getting some weird news ramped up for y'all. Yes, I wish I could find the millions that I have saved somewhere, but guess what? That day is not today. So instead, I have a fun one for you that comes from Fox News. Not the channel, just the actual news source. And the headline is... Florida man slapped girlfriend with cheeseburger, kicked her down the stairs, police... I'm assuming there was supposed to be a say behind that, but. I'm still stuck on the smacked girlfriend with cheeseburger. I know. Okay, let's learn more. Not only is that a disgrace to your girlfriend, but that is a disgrace to cheeseburgers everywhere. Cheeseburgers are for love, not as a weapon. Not, Not a weapon. Love. Only love. Only love. Only love and, you know, to make you super fat um, and harden all your arteries. Just um, just love and cardiovascular disease. That's it. Exactly. Thank you. Nothing sexier than plaque buildup in the organs. So a Florida man was arrested earlier this month after he allegedly started a fight with his girlfriend by slapping her in the face with a cheeseburger. <laughs> Kyle Jamison Jones, 30, abruptly woke the woman up on May 4th. With the odd assault. She was sleeping? (laughs) (laughs) That makes it like a million times worse somehow. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah. Kyle Jamison Jones, 30, abruptly woke the woman up on May 4th with the odd assault the Martin County Sheriff's Office wrote on Facebook. The woman said Jones continued to attack her by pulling her hair and kicking her down the stairs. That part's not as funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deputies said when they arrived, the victim was visibly upset and covered with particles of the food item. Oh. Jones allegedly admitted to a verbal fight, but not a physical one. He was charged with battery and jailed in Martin County, officials say. And that is the end of the article. She was sleeping. And you hit her with a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, what an asshole. Like, what? Like, I what just... an abusive asshole. I mean, I don't know the situation. I could be judging a little harshly here. Like, maybe he had, not. like, 
probably not. But like benefit of the doubt, maybe he got home from a long shift of work work, and he was really looking forward to that Big Mac or Whataburger that was in the fridge. And he finds out she, she took a bite of the best part and then went to sleep. I, would I personally attack my partner with that half-eaten cheeseburger? No. But I have a lot of control, Eden. You know I came very close to slapping my ex-husband with a cheeseburger one time. Okay, so not with a cheeseburger. But <laughs> like what? it is there is food involved. So we had ordered Chinese food and I got some sweet and sour chicken because that used to be like my favorite. Now I mainly do lo mein. But mm-hmm. I only ate a little bit of it. Most of it was still there. And I was like, you know, this is so good, but I'm full. I'm gonna yeah. leave this for tomorrow. I'll have it for and- lunch tomorrow or later or whatever. Yeah, and he's like, okay, cool. And he still had some of his food left, too. And I go to bed. He gets up before me. I come downstairs in the morning. I'm like, you know what I want for breakfast? Leftover Chinese. I go into the fridge, and I open the container. And what do I see? There are only two small pieces of sweet and sour chicken left. Uh Uh-oh. And most of my rice is gone, too. And his food is already eaten. So he housed the rest of his food and then ate your food. Yes. And I was like, what the fuck? And he was like, I was hungry. I'm like, you left me two pieces of sweet and sour chicken. And he's like, I don't know how much you eat. (laughs) It's more than two fucking pieces because you're an adult human. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) But so the difference is you were mad and you weren't going to attack him with those two pieces of chicken and then push him down the stairs. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, that is the difference. (laughs) That's the distinct difference in this story. But also... Side note, dude, seriously, I'm sure there was other food in your house. Like that's a, yes. that's just, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, that's just like a red flag of like disrespect. Exactly. Partner. For anybody yes. who'd be like, I'm saving this. It was so good. Ugh. Ugh. It was my favorite Chinese place in the area too. Made me so mad. And like, mm-hmm. I don't get to get it when I'm, you know, in Easton because we don't have it here. It's only in Allentown. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, thank you for that delicious question mark, question mark, uh, story from Florida, Eden. Was it, though? <laughs> no. It, it started off really funny, and then it just got really sad. and, and It did. Yeah, it did. Well, hopefully we can keep that going by moving on to my paranormal story, which will start off funny, hopefully, and maybe end sad, or maybe not. I don't really know. It's been a while since I, I penned this chronicle to Nevada, so... It's going to be a journey for me, too. Awesome. I love when that happens. <laughs> All right. So today we're heading to the small town of Prim, Nevada. Uh, the town straddles the border of San Bernardino County in California and Clark County in Nevada. I only know Prim from Fallout New Vegas. <gasps> yes, this is the, this is actually the town in Fallout New Vegas, if it sounds familiar. So good clocking that one straight up. Nice. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, it sits on the uh, Ivanpah, I think is how you pronounce it, Ivanpah Dry Lake, which extends both north and south of the town. Uh, in fact, the area was called State Line, Nevada, up until 1996, when it was renamed Prim after a casino and resort developer in the town. Wait. Yeah. Dry? Yeah, Dry Lake. Dry Lake. Like, so it's just like, there's no water. It just dried up. Yep. Yep. Okay. It's really, I, I totally like went too far into like what the hell is a dry lake when I was drafting this story for you. 
And I was like, oh, that's weird. What is that? But yeah, it's essentially what used to be a lake bed. Now it's dried up, but it's still like a depression. Um, and sometimes if you do get a lot of rain, which is very rare in Nevada, uh, it will have water in it again, but then it dries out very quickly. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. If you look at pictures of Prim, you'll kind of see like, because water does collect there sometimes from like mountain runoff and like it'll be like this glimmering, like kind of like glassy surface around it. Fun. Yeah. So the change from state line to Prim was something that happened in 96. And that was mostly because of some confusion with an other town in Nevada that was on the shore of Lake Tahoe. It was also called state line. But it was one word instead of two. So just to eliminate the confusion, they decided to rename Prim because Prim had a smaller population. And it's technically an unincorporated community. Gotcha. So, uh, Prim itself, what is considered Prim, covers roughly 80 square miles. Uh, but it's only home to about 1,100 people. So it's really tiny, but it's really spread out. That is small. I mean, that's a lot of area and very little people to fill it. Indeed it is. It's located pretty close to Las Vegas. It's only about 40 miles away. And because of that, Prim's also located in the Mojave Desert. Uh, Though there's numerous ghost mining towns all around Prim, uh, Prim itself surprisingly didn't start as a mining town. Prim started off when one guy, a person who used to be a miner, this guy named Pete McIntyre, set up shop. When digging into Pete's past, all I could really find out about him is that he was a, he was a miner. It, it, you don't, I don't even know where the man was from, just that his name was Pete McIntyre, and he used to be a miner. And then around the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, I should say, he started popping up in census results in Arizona. And then also a little bit in California, which makes sense around 1910, because the state line in San Bernardino County, where Prim is located. There's records of him being arrested in California at that time, and he spent a few months in jail specifically for running a speakeasy, and that was back in 1918. All right. Um, After he got out of jail, he was like, I got to get the heck out of California, and he ended up putting up a gas station on the state line with Nevada, And basically, he was the only thing on this really isolated stretch of desert highway between, like, Los Angeles and San Bernardino County and Las Vegas. So that is where the town of Prim originates from, Pete McIntyre's gas station. Now, setting up a gas station in the middle of nowhere sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme, right? Absolutely not. (laughs) It's probably not the best business plan to move to the middle of the Mojave Desert. but. Pete was a bootlegger and he had a network of folks. So he started pulling on that old bag of tricks that he had been arrested for in California in his speakeasy days. And he started distilling his own moonshine in the caves around the gas station. So he eventually was so successful in his bootlegging business that he made more money from selling moonshine and whiskey than selling gas to people who were on their way to and from Las Vegas. Uh, This earned him the moniker Whiskey Pete, which he proudly wore for the rest of his life. Nice. Now, Whiskey Pete still looms large over Prim today. He's considered its founding father. 
And there's definitely more to his story, but first I did want to tell you a little bit more about how the town developed from this lonely desert gas station into the resort locale that it is today. Whiskey Pete passed away in 1931, and his gas station changed hands a few times before a guy named Dale Hamilton purchased it in the early 1950s. Now, Dale was a man with a plan, and it didn't involve Panama or moonshine. Dale decided to maximize the usefulness of his location on the state line for travelers heading to and from Las Vegas. First, he updated the property by building a Chevron gas station, which included an automotive repair garage as well as a towing service. And then to encourage folks to stop at his gas station, he also built a little off building that he turned into a modest cafe slash lunch counter that included some small slots, like a small slot casino. His whole business motto was, hey, there's going to be people on their way to Las Vegas. Why not hit them when they cross the state line? They can stop for a bite to eat, gas up their car, maybe get their gambling trip off to a start as soon as they got into Nevada. Or Maybe somebody had had a great week in, in Las Vegas and they were going back to California and they wanted to test their luck one last time and they could do that at his location, which he simply named State Line Bar Colon Slots. Well, that's creative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, folks started calling it Dale State Line Bar. And Dale did really well for himself. So much so that when Nevada was plotting a new route for Interstate 15 in the 1960s, uh, Dale was able to successfully grease enough palms as he campaigned legislators in Carson City to make sure that the Interstate 15 interchange was at the site that passed his gas station and not a, a, nor- a more northern route as was initially planned. So I think that's pretty cool that he was successful enough to be like, hey, yeah. you know, I hear you're building the highway. I have this great little spot that people love to stop at. The highway should go past it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's here's an envelope. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> the impression I got from this whole inter- interaction. <laughs> so by the 1970s, Interstate 15's built. A lot more people are taking it to go from California to Las Vegas. And it started to attract even more attention. In particular, it attracted the attention of Ernest J. Prim, a California-based entrepreneur who felt that there was even more potential in what Dale Hamilton was doing than just a gas station with slots. So in 1977, Prim opened Whiskey Pete's Casino and Hotel. Let me say that again. So in 1977, Prim opened Whiskey Pete's Hotel and Casino. It was the first major casino in the area, and it included race and sports betting, along with your more traditional slots and table games. The casino's, op- the casino's opening was a really big boom to the area, and people started to actually live and work in Prim, which was at that point known as State Line, to support the casino. It did pretty well, and Ernest Prim and his son Gary expanded in 1990 by opening Prima Donna Resort and Casino, uh, which is now called Prim Valley Resort and Casino. Uh, This one was pretty swanky as well, and more of a modern casino. It included an outlet mall, uh, and then they also, four years later, opened Buffalo Bills Resort and Casino, which was even more fantastic because it included, aside from gambling and a hotel, a roller coaster and a buffalo-shaped swimming pool. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
With all the employment opportunities and revenue that the Prims family casinos and resorts had brought to the area, it kind of makes sense why the town selected the name Prim for itself when it had to rename from state line in 1996. Um, The Prims continue to be a really big presence in the town, and they've really helped it continue to grow through the early 2000s. Um, The town has kind of become like the premier stop when you're on a road trip from California to Las Vegas because of the Prim Uh, resorts. But the 2008 recession really took a sizable chunk out of the business and services that the community was providing. It's also had quite a bit of struggle with uh, its economy due to the COVID-19 restrictions that were in place during the pandemic, which makes sense because it is hospitality and, and you need people in your casinos to really turn a profit. But now that we are starting to ease the pandemic restrictions and we're going to end the state of emergency in a few months, Prim's long-term prospects are looking much better. Uh, The other thing that has been unfolding in Prim's favor is the future plans to build an additional airport in this part of Nevada to kind of manage the traffic overflow from the Las Vegas airport. So there are plans to open a new airport, which will be pretty closely located to Prim. It'll be called the South Nevada Supplemental Airport. And it's expected to be completed around in sometime in the 2030s. And that in and of itself will help Prim grow even more. So they're very much looking forward to that. Now that you know a little bit more about this town of Prim and where it's headed, let's jump back to good old Whiskey Pete. Um, We're actually going to stop at the Whiskey Peak Casino, which was the first casino that the Prim's family opened, and it's going to be our primary stop for the day. So the hotel here has 777 rooms. Yep, that's right. Lucky sevens. (laughs) Uh, The casino floor itself is about 35,000 square feet. The property features a swimming pool, a gift shop, four restaurants, one of which is an IHOP, or so I'm told, and some freaky otherworldly happenings. Yep. Okay, always fun. That's right. I have found for you the most Nevada haunting ever, a haunted casino. That's perfect. (laughs) Um, And the interesting thing about the hauntings is that it's very much tied to Prim's founder, Whiskey Pete McIntyre. So I mentioned- I'm honestly wondering now with Whiskey Pete, Mm-hmm. If the character who I believe was in Prim in um, Fallout New Vegas, mm-hmm. Easy Pete is supposed to be like Whiskey Pete. Yes. A hundred percent is supposed to be a, an ode to Whiskey Pete in, in, in that Fallout game. For sure. Nice. Yeah. I, that's why I was like, this sounds so from Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know I mentioned a little bit about Whiskey Pete's past, like how he has a bootlegger and he was arrested in California and stuff like that, but he's a pretty fucking wild guy. And I mean, he kind of have to be considering he had the balls to open up a gas station in the middle of the desert <laughs> on a whim. So I think it, it, some of these more bi- biographical details on his adventures with the gas station very much ring true to somebody who would take that leap. Um, so in 1928, Whiskey Pete appears in a Las Vegas newspaper. Um, It's in relation to when the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce read a letter to a woman who had stopped at Whiskey Pete's gas station. So according to the woman, at about 11 p.m., she stopped to have her oil and water checked and get gas. 
Whiskey Pete came out to serve her and he realized that the car only needed water and kind of got pissed off. And he was like, listen, I'm not going to give you any water. You have to buy some gas. And he, quote, became abusive, threatening and refused to let them have water. Oh, my God. He forced the woman to drive to the next service station, which was miles and miles away with an empty radiator and an overheated engine. What a dick. Yes. He was a dick. He was Whiskey Pete. (laughs) Or perhaps this woman was just being obnoxious and entitled because she wasn't going to actually buy anything from him. She was just going to use him for his water in the desert. (laughs) She could have been a Karen. That's true. Either way, she reported to the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce, and the Chamber of Commerce said that for months they had received similar complaints from tourists driving to and from Las Vegas, um, from California. So this probably isn't just a a case of a Karen. Whiskey Pete definitely sounds like a surly motherfucker. Um, One of the complaints even said that Whiskey Pete shot at them, and another said that he threatened to shoot them. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, so the Chamber of Commerce is like, this is bad for business. We're going to refer all of this information to the Las Vegas sheriff and the Clark County sheriff to have a good old chat with whiskey Pete. Yeah. Pete, did you maybe think that your personality doesn't really mesh well with a job that involves the public? Yeah. I'm like, maybe customer service isn't for you, Pete. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the uh, Clark County sheriff goes out to talk to whiskey Pete. And after that visit, it seemed to scare Pete a little bit. Keep in mind, he was still doing his illegal moonshining. So he started to improve his customer service skills, at least for a, a bit. Uh, by March 1931, he was yet again aggravating customers. <laughs> this time, he had an altercation with a the postmaster of a nearby town, a guy named Rube Bradshaw, whom Pete shot in the shoulder after they had a fight at his gas station. Uh, according to Rube Bradshaw, he had stopped at the gas station with his two sons, and when he walked inside, Pete was already, quote-unquote, surly. When he asked Pete for a cup of coffee, he said Pete became so enraged that Rube decided that he would get coffee somewhere else and started to leave. When he reached the door, he said Pete called him a, quote, vile name. And vile name. when Rube turned around to face him, Pete shot him in the shoulder with a pistol. Oh my God! That escalated <laughs> quickly. He could have just yep. hit him with a cheeseburger. I mean, I, <laughs> turns out, turns out, uh, Whiskey Pete was charged with assault with a deadly weapon, and he decided to plead not guilty. While out on bail, Pete told reporters that he resented the bad reputation that he had, and that his remote location made it necessary for him to be armed at all times and sometimes be suspicious of strangers. He also made sure to let reporters know that he was paying for all of Rube Bradshaw's medical and hospital expenses. Eventually, the charges against Pete were dropped when Bradshaw failed to show up at court three separate times. So, yeah, I thought this was really interesting because it does kind of sound like I kind of get where Pete's coming from. He's like, these people come in and they're really entitled and I'm a little bit surly because I don't know if they're going to try to rob me. And I think I think that's a little fair, although. I think he probably overreacts more often than not. Yes, I agree with that as well. <laughs> so the next year, at some point in early 1932, he marries a woman named Loretta Frances Enders. But by October, she's apparently already had enough of Pete, and she took him to court. 
on charges of insanity. According to physicians, Pete was just fine mentally, but physically he was likely to die in a matter of days due to an ailment just referred to as, quote, minor's consumption. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's some kind of, you know, maybe not black lung, but something akin to it, some kind of lung disease. Now, Mrs. McIntyre was the only witness against her husband and claimed that he was mentally unstable. He would fly into a rage anytime he sees, quote, me and accuses me of all sorts of things. Uh, Pete did admit to flying into rages, but added, quote, who wouldn't when they find their wife running around naked in the hills with other men? Well, then. I wish to God I could find out more information about this, but I, right? in the news article, it was just quoting court transcripts. And I'm like, this got to have been a wild, wild day in divorce court. Like, geez. Yeah. So, I really want to know more. I guess it even wasn't even divorce court. It was just like her trying to get him, you know, declared mentally insta- unstable and get him locked away. So, um, now here's the interesting thing, which makes me think that Loretta might be a bit of a gold digger. Pete said that a few weeks prior to her bringing him to court on charges of insanity, Loretta had dumped him at a sanitarium in California, basically thinking he was on death's door from his, his, uh, lung illness but when he showed signs of starting to recover loretta abandoned him there and quickly hightailed it back to the back home to supposedly look after the gas station (laughs) aka clear out the gas station yeah right when pete was well enough to go home he discovered that she hadn't paid any attention to the gas station at all and was basically quote running around with other men uh in the end the judge sorted through all the drama and denied Loretta's motion to have Pete committed. And the weird thing is, there's no mention of her at all after this. So I'm going to assume that Loretta just ran off with one of those other men and abandoned Pete. That would be my best guess as well. So by December of 1932, Pete declared that, you know, he's in really poor health, but that he was, quote, too busy to die. And that he now was four months past the funeral date that doctors had previously given him. Um, So he continued to raise hell managing the gas station. But by fall of the next year, September 1933, he was living back at that sanitarium in California. And he eventually died there on November 11th, 1933. Uh, It was announced that his funeral will be held in Las Vegas. And then that's where things get just a little bit weirder. So, at some point prior to his death, Whiskey Pete had told his friends that he wanted to be buried standing up near his gas station. Buried ex- standing up? Yep. His exact words were, quote, bury me up on the hill, standing up facing the valley so I can see all those sons of bitches going by. <laughs> oh, Pete. <laughs> oh, Pete. And you know what? He had some pretty fucking good friends because they did just that. Uh, They used some dynamite to blast a hole into the limestone cliff overlooking what was then labeled Highway 91 um, behind his behind Pete's service station. And they interred him over the years. The exact site of Whiskey Pete's grave was lost. And that was partially due to people kind of repeatedly stealing his grave marker. And eventually it just stopped being replaced. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow okay so i mean like it's as valuable as that sign in dildo canada basically basically um 
And like I mentioned previously, shortly after his death, his his service station was sold several times, changing hail, hands until eventually um, it was developed. And, and we saw the Prim family come in and really start to develop the resorts in the area. Um, such a wild character as Whiskey Pete as your founding father, it totally makes sense why they named their first casino after Whiskey Pete when they opened it in 1977. Um, but there's a little bit more to it, to it. Everything seemed calm at the resort for the first decade or two. Until February of 1994. During that month, construction workers were grading land for a new rail track that would connect Whiskey Pete's to the new casino Buffalo Bills on the other side of the freeway. And they basically wanted to build a little a little like train you could ride back and forth between the casinos so people wouldn't be walking across the highway at night. While they were working, they ended up near the original site of Whiskey Pete's gas station. And they struck a crumbling wooden coffin. Inside, they found the skeletal remains of Whiskey Pete himself. Even though some legends say he was buried in a 10-gallon hat with six shooters strapped to his side and a jug of whiskey, all the uh, construction workers found were, were bones. He did have a little bit of hair left on his skull, dentures in his mouth, and a couple buttons on his shirt that weren't decayed. Oh my god. Now, after this... Uh, the resort said, hey, we're going to rebury Whiskey Pete on our property with a memorial. But when you visit, you don't really see it. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any memorial set up, and it's unknown exactly where Pete's bones were buried. It's rumored that his remains were reinterred in one of the caves he used to make his moonshine in, which are located above the casino. Now, obviously, you and you disrupt someone's grave. That tends to be a trigger event for hauntings. Just and a little. Just, just a little, like tiny, a, the tiniest bit. Tiniest bit. And when you lose their bones and not rebury them with a memorial, you know, things happen. Things happen. And ever since 1994, things have been happening at Whiskey Pete's Casino. <laughs> wow. So shocked. Yes. So guests at the casino have experienced this really intense sensation of being watched. And I don't just mean by the security team. Um, it happens on the floors it happens like on the casino floors it happens uh in elevators it happens in hallways it happens everywhere on property people just feel like there's somebody watching them um sometimes folks have turned around to see an old man who kind of looks like someone out of a western film staring at them and if they That's look away be Pete. yes and if they look away look back or even sometimes just blink the apparition the apparition will just vanish um, so several, like, it's like crazy the amount of people who have had this experience at the casino who have probably seen the apparition of Whiskey Pete. Huh. Employees say that another sign that Whiskey Pete is still watching over his property is something that he probably did a lot in life. Um, some guests and employees have experienced Being their- Being shot. <laughs> that would have been funny, but no. Um, hmm. have ex they, ha they have experienced their empty gas tanks being refilled overnight oh okay so the good part of pete god yes right which i'm like I, if i'm being completely honest with myself that sounds like a pretty awesome haunting outcome <laughs> if you're yeah. like my tanks honey i'm gonna have to stop and get gas before i head home then you come out and like you have a full tank that's freaking amazing that's yeah. awesome so that's something that several employees have said have happened to them as well as a handful of guests um, other guests at the resort have claimed to have captured disturbing paranormal photos of an ominous nature at the resort. 
Sadly, I couldn't find more information about this, even though the people who are posting all about this on some of the messaging boards about Whiskey Pete's claim to have posted the pictures online, but you know, typical, they didn't share the links. So who knows how I legit that. that is. Yeah. And I love the message boards. Like the more I do paranormal stories, the more I use message boards as some of my um, story. Mm-hmm. It's great, but it's a little flaky too. Oh yeah. So if all of that ghostly activity from Pete wasn't enough, there's some special, even more ominous shit going on. And that has to do with the very special historic attraction on display at Whiskey Pete's that also generates a lot of eerie vibes from guests. At Whiskey Pete's, you can see Bonnie Parker and Clyde Burroughs' death car. Ooh. That's right. It's one of the biggest attractions of Whiskey Pete's, and it's basically the bullet-riddled, blood-splattered 1934 uh, Ford Model B four-door deluxe V8 sedan that Bonnie and Clyde were riding in when they were gunned down by law enforcement in 1934. Uh, While there have been a lot of cars claiming to be the Bonnie and Clyde death car, I think at last count, there's about seven cars on display across the country. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. The one at Whiskey Pete's actually has the best claims of authenticity. Um, Aside from having the car, they also have some personal paraphernalia from Bonnie and Clyde, uh, such as the Clyde that, uh, sorry, such as the shirt that Clyde died wearing. They have a hand mirror, a belt and beaded necklace that were also found in the car when the couple died. And they have the, the, the providence of how they got a hold of these items as well. Nice. But the Depression-era gangster wild ride doesn't stop there. Oh, no. Whiskey Pete's has even more terrifying bloody memorabilia. Right next to the Bonnie and Clyde death car is a display featuring the custom 1931 Lincoln automobile that was built for the notorious gangster Dutch Schultz. Now, after Dutch Schultz was assassinated by Lucky Luciano, the custom car, which featured bulletproof bulletproofing with lead-lined doors and one-inch thick glass passed into the hands of Al Capone, probably the most famous American gangster. Oh, shit. Okay. Capone had the car for quite a while, and eventually it was seized by the FBI when he was arrested for tax evasion. And there's even a rumor that FDR used this car occasionally while he was president, but again, just a rumor. Um, Now that car is on display at Whiskey Pete's, And shocker, guests have reported weird shit happening near the cars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They report very uh, typical haunting things, cold spots, feeling overwhelmed with a sense of sadness and dread. Um, I found one report that was freaky as all get out. Um, This person was saying how they're they're very sensitive. And when they were at Whiskey Pete, they already felt kind of like a little weirded out. But when they went to see the displays of the Bonnie and Clyde death car and Dutch Schultz's Lincoln, they were looking at it and they kind of turned away and they felt like something was pushing them. Um, like kind of Ooh. back towards the car, like some like one one description, like at first it felt like someone bumped into me. So I turned and then it felt like a hand on my chest, like pushing me against pushing me towards the display. I'm oh, like, wow, that's freaky. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of ghostly activity. 
which I just think is really interesting in a casino because you think about how what a weird space a casino is anyway. It's like there aren't windows. You can spend hours there. They pump in the oxygen. There's like flashing lights and whistles and bells and just all kinds of business going on. I feel like for for even someone who isn't sensitive to to paranormal uh things it's a bit overwhelming and then you roll on that creepy weird like feeling of being watched and the vibes that you get from like these kind of objects that are surrounded by death and violence and it's just it's gotta be it's gotta be a scene that's all i'm saying oh yeah definitely so eden what do you think do you think you'd want to want to take take a visit to whiskey pete's and uh, maybe drop a through a, f- a few coins into the the slot machines. I definitely would, and I would go there with like you know maybe only a quarter of a tank of gas left just to see if it refills, because um, <laughs> that's awesome, especially with these gas prices. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would definitely go. I mean, that's crazy. I wonder if that really is the the Bonnie and Clyde car, though. Right. It's so like, hard to tell. Yeah, because you said there's like what eight of them? Uh seven. So including seven. the including the one at Whiskey Pete's. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be crazy to see. And then the other one, the that belonged to the other guy that you said that I'd never heard of. <laughs> Dutch Schultz. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Because obviously I know who Al Capone was and the one well, that you said killed him. Yeah, Lucky Luciano. Um, they're pretty famous names. I've heard of both of them. Yeah. Yeah. But that'd be really cool to see all that. Um, I don't want to be pushed back toward a car. No, thank <laughs> you. Um, but I would like to possibly see good old Pete and definitely have my gas filled up for me. I agree. That's a really good call. Be like, hey, we're just going to stop in Prim and go to Whiskey Pete's and maybe maybe see what happens with our gas tank. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my sources for this tale were, of course, Wikipedia as a jumping off point, uh, PrimValleyResorts.com, PancakesAndWhiskey.com, which is a great little site. I like the name. Yeah, me too. WeirdCalifornia.com, uh, PrimNevada.net. Uh, hauntedplaces.org, thedeadhistory.com, uh, naircity.com, and onlinepokerrealmoney.co.uk, and mental floss. Very nice. Yeah. Well, thank you for that story, Nicole. It was really cool. All right, gang. Well, I think that brings us to the end of Nevada Part 1. We'll be back soon with Part 2. Um, until then, I do want to let you know if you want to reach out to us. We are still lightly monitoring our social media. We're really terrible about it, but hey, it's just one of those things. When life gets busy, social media gets so quiet. Exactly. <laughs> but if you do want to stop by, you can always uh, find out when our latest episodes drop. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show or on Twitter at Roadside Horror. You can also send us an email at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. I don't know why I had to think about that so hard. <laughs> As always, we'd like to thank E. Massey and Yox Rocks Design for our intro and outro music and our fabulous logo. Until next time, roadsters. Creep, creep on, on, creep on. on.